All right, welcome to part two of The Risk of Art. I want to apologize yet again for being a slacker and not getting the podcast out like I said I was going to do. I've got excuses like everybody, and I'll, I'll share a couple, a couple of those because one of them is very valid. But first, let me say that uh, we don't sell advertising to this podcast, but I'm going to advertise, and I'm going to dedicate this particular episode to Andrew Gayfield and Lamb Exterminating. And let me tell you why. Because uh, I sent an email out yesterday, and he sent me back and he said, Hey, great encouraging email. Don't forget about your podcast. Uh, something like that. And I was like, Oh, man, I know. I, I know. I've been a slacker. I didn't realize how long it has been. But I want to thank Andrew for that. And I want to definitely recommend him. Listen, you can go to richmondtermitetreatment.com. If you're in the Richmond, Virginia metro area, you can't do better. Andrew has an A plus, uh, their business, Lamb Exterminating, has an A plus rating with a better business bureau, best of home. Home advisor. I know Andrew personally. I've known him since he was a teenager in my youth group, and now he's a very successful businessman. And I know his heart, I know his motives, and I know his work ethic. So you can't go wrong uh, getting your house checked out. I think they do a free inspection. 804 573 9472. 804 573 9472. Andrew didn't pay for that advertisement, but he has been an avid supporter of Life on the Verge and all we have done. His business has been a supporter of Life on the Verge since we began. Andrew actually used to go out and play music with us. As a matter of fact, Andrew was the bass player in the first band we took out to Sturgis where God connected me to the man that would become my mentor in doing all the prison ministry that we're doing today. So, Uh, I'm right now, we are in Brentwood, Tennessee, parked behind my son's house, about 15, 20 minutes outside of downtown Nashville. We've been here for a week or so. We came here for a couple of reasons. Uh, Chief among those reasons was to meet a couple named Mike and Patty Turner. I'll share a minute about them, but first let me tell you about the fun things I got to do. My son surprised me with Eric Clapton tickets for Father's Day. They, They were a late gift. Um, and uh, I didn't know until a few weeks before we were scheduled to come to Nashville that he had bought these tickets, and all this was happening at the same time. Mike and Patty Turner, I'll talk about in a second, were actually playing music here in Nashville, and we were going to go out and see them and meet with them about doing prison ministry together. Um, so we got to do that, and you know, got to record some music on Matt's album. He asked me to do some guitar tracks on his album. He just finished tracking last night the entire album. Not sure when it's coming out. But uh, I got to do some of that, go to the studio, hang out with this producer and engineer. Great, great, cool folks. Uh, and then just some other dots. Man, this city is a buzz with connections. I'll, I will tell you that. Um, I'm looking forward to meeting a, a man that does something similar to what we do here in uh, Nashville. Uh, another man named Nathan uh, that I met through Matt's team. His engineer actually knew this guy. They came over for dinner. We were talking, and then another connection was made. Got to tour the Gibson Guitar Factory. That was outstanding and awesome. Uh, but let me get back to... Mike and and Patty Turner. Um, Mike and Patty Turner are they are a duet, a, a duo, music duo called Boo Radley, and uh, we met them because I met we met their son in prison in May. We played at Jefferson Correctional Institution in Monticello, Florida, 
and a kid bawled his eyes out for the entire song when Susan sang Landslide. And he came up and said, my mom's been a singer all of her life, and and uh, that song just reminded me of her and how I've failed and yada, yada. And uh, we prayed with him, and then the next day I got an email from mom, and <clears throat> she was thanking us, and then she ended it with a side note, like, you know, we we would like to do some prison ministry one day. They they mostly play outside of prison, you know, clubs and coffee houses and things like that. They're really, I, I checked their music out, I was like, well, these guys are really good at what they do. It's kind of a acoustic folk kind of stuff, but it's it's really good. The guy plays guitar. She, they sing great, harmonize great. So we found out they were going to be in Nashville near around the time that we needed to be in Nashville for a couple of other reasons and said, hey, let's set up, let's go see them play. So we went and saw them play. Weren't sure, didn't know much about them. And uh, they, they, I gave them my card. They were like, let's get together later this week. I said, perfect. So we spent three hours at Starbucks with them yesterday. Come to find out, uh, Mike is a former missionary, and uh, both of them are, are strong believers. And they play a lot outside of prison, but want to play more in prison. And we're the other way, is that we play a lot in prison, but we do want to do more outside of prison. Because playing outside of prison, I mean, <clears throat> one, it keeps our chops high. We don't want to go into prison and give mediocrity. We want to play in front of people that have the ability to walk away um, that aren't a captive audience to keep our chops at that level. Plus, we get to meet new people. And we know that just being in front of people as a married couple, we know that whether we're being super overt about our testimony or not, that the Holy Spirit is there and He is working. And we've met people in bars and coffee houses and RV parks just getting up and doing what we do. Because where we go, the Holy Spirit goes. And so it's it was just it just looks like a real iron 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 sharpens iron relationship. We're looking forward to possibly doing some prisons together with Mike and Patty next year. And uh, we, you know we just met them uh, Friday night, I think it was, and then just had uh, coffee with them yesterday and feel like we've known them forever. There was just a kindred spirit there. So that's part of what we were doing. Now let me give you the chief among my excuses for being such a slacker. All three of our dogs died um, in, in a, within a year. Uh, the last one passed away, I think it was July, um, before we, uh, in between our spring tour and our summer fall tour, uh, the last one passed away. They were 14, 15, and 16, big part of our lives. They, they traveled everywhere with us, we called them the road dogs. And, uh, you know, I, I love dogs, but, you know, I, I don't mind a little season without them. And uh, so we hit the road intent on not getting any puppies until at least until we got back home in uh, late October, early November. And Susan was just, oh, she was a, what did, what did they say, Debbie Downer. Man, she was so sad. And after a couple of weeks, I said, okay, this has got to change. I got to find some dogs. So I went searching. We went and picked up a brother and sister. Uh, Chihuahuas in Ocala named them Rhythm and Blues, and they are awesome. We love them, but they require constant attention like a baby. So in order to do this podcast, I have to break out my laptop, my microphone, my head uh, headphones, my heart, my external hard drive. I got to sprawl all this stuff out, which are cables everywhere. 
So I have to do it while they're sleeping. And they get, and I usually do this podcast early in the morning, and they get up early in the morning, and I, and I just kept making excuses. It's hard, man. Have some mercy, okay? All right, so let me get back to the, the risk of art part two. I'm going to end this with some questions when it comes to taking risk that maybe you should ask. But this morning I was reading Psalm chapter one, and I won't read the whole thing. It talks about, you know, the blessed man. And uh, some some direction there about not walking in the counsel of the wicked or standing in the way of sinners and such. And it ends with, in all he does, he prospers. In all he does, he prospers. I mean, you could say, in all she does, she prospers. We as godly people are called to prosper. God wants us to prosper. Now, the problem is, today, churches can land, pastors, teachers can land on one extreme or the other. Uh, everything that the word prosperity comes up and they have such disdain for prosperity preachers that they never talk about prosperity. On the other is the prosperity pimps that just dangle cars and, you know, uh, houses and all that stuff in front of you. And you, you, if you serve God, you'll get all this you know material stuff. Both are wrong. Biblical prosperity, that word in the Greek, or rather in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it means to advance. In all he does, he advances, or or to be successful. In all he or she does, they are successful. And success, I love this definition of success, the progressive achievement of worthwhile goals. It, It means to advance. God wants us to move forward. We're not who we want to be, but we're not who we used to be. The path of the righteous winds upward, the Bible says, that we're constantly moving forward. Yes, through challenges and, you know, setbacks, but we are always striving and moving forward because as we prosper, as we advance, uh, we carry the kingdom of God with us. In 1 John 3, 2, this is a very abused scripture by some of the prosperity pimps, at least in the past. I've heard it used wrongly. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Well, that's that's good. That's a good word. Of course, God wants us to prosper. It's that definition of prosperity that's faulty sometimes. It doesn't mean I pray that, you know, in all things that you have nice cars and, and a, a nice house and a perfect family and perfect health. And no, it, that word in the Greek in the New Testament prosper means to have a successful journey. And, and so I believe that God absolutely wants us to advance. Uh, there is a, pro, I think it's in the Psalms where it says God delights in the prosperity of his saints. I mean, like a, like a, I'm an earthly father. I certainly want my kids to advance in life. And so I believe that's God's will for our life. But it will not happen without hard work and risk, plain and simple. Work being a gift of God. You know, God gave us work to do before the fall. We just added thorns and thistles to our work with sin. And work became much harder, more difficult to advance, more difficult to prosper than it was intended But through Jesus, we regain an edge to our work. We can see God's favor on our work. We can see God give us strategies to work through the thorns and thistles. We can lay claim to the promises of God that when we have a setback, all things work together for for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. But regardless, if you're going to be successful, if you're going to prosper, it's going, if you're going to advance, it's going to take Risk as always part of the equation. We define risk as a situation involving exposure to danger, harm, or injury. 
art, when I, why I called it risk of art, is I, I, any, I'm talking about anything that we create from what's already been created. We can't create anything from nothing. Only God can do that. But he gives us the earth and he says, go figure out cool stuff. Put things together. Create businesses. Create medical ideas. Create music. Create, you know, art. Create something. Uh, the Ann Rand. I, I read a good book called Every Good Endeavor, on talking about um, you know basically the uh, biblical concept of work, uh, written by a guy named Timothy Keller. And he quotes Ann Rand, who was not a believer by the way, but in her book Atlas Shrugged, she said, "Whether it's a symphony." or a coal mine, all work is an act of creating and comes from the same source, the capacity to see, to connect, and to make what has not been been seen. Make what has not been connected, what has not been made before. So we're to put together the best we can, the resources that we have, the ideas that we have, and, and then we're to take a risk to get it out there, to put it together and take a risk. The problem is, the older we get, the more we want to minimize risk, but maximize outcome. We, we look at our gains in life, what, where we, we've reached a level, and we want to now play our cards close to our chest. We don't want to risk. We don't want to put the things we've gathered to ourselves. It, it, we don't want to expose them to danger or to injury or to harm, right? Uh, but we, we will not advance sometimes if we don't take new Risk and risk is always fraught with uncertainty. It's always fraught with vulnerability. Um, but we don't get to see what's behind the next door if we don't take a risk. Well, I don't think we can really fulfill our potential. We, no, we don't take foolish risk. I'm talking about calculated risk. Um, you know, uh, there's a show when I was growing up called Let's Make a Deal. Uh, I think there's a new version of it out now, but the version I'm talking about had Monty Hall, some of you. Old timers remember that show when you were home from school sick, you were watching the game shows on TV and uh, Let's Make a Deal was one of them. And it would usually, I think it was three doors and you'd went, you might win a prize behind door number one and, and you know, it might have been something like a vacuum cleaner and you could keep the vacuum cleaner or you could take a risk and say, you know what, I'm going to risk the vacuum cleaner because I want to see what's behind door number two or door number three. And it might be a new car behind that next door, or there might be a box of popcorn, <laughs> right? You don't know. There was uncertainty. That was part of the draw of the show, the excitement of the show. And I think that risk like that, like what's behind the next door? I'm not talking about you know, we need to be content in, in all things with what we have, okay? But we should also have a little bit of a dissatisfaction that we don't we don't want to plateau and just you know it's it's wild you i see i know a lot of guys that have retired from law enforcement for example I, i've known a lot of people that have retired from various jobs if you don't have something to do after you retire it it so many people seem to die or fall into deep depression after they've completed their their career in a certain field because they didn't have vision and they didn't take new risk to advance. I believe that we should be advancing in some way until we step into eternity. That's what my, my personal philosophy. Let me let me share a story and then I'm going to close with some questions I think might help us to um, take more calculated, wise risk when the time comes to take those risks. 
in 2006, we started... Now, let me give you some backstory here. I, in 91, I started volunteering at a church. I was still a cop. And I was mesmerized by the youth pastor and youth ministry. I had no idea how you get into ministry and that. I started mopping the floor after youth. I've talked about that story. And one thing led to another, and I was playing guitar. And then eventually, four or five years later, we entered full-time ministry. Ten years later, I came back and was the youth pastor at the very church where I first volunteered. We were able to buy a home on five acres, a 3,000-square-foot 3, home. Uh, it needed quite a bit of work, but it was a great place in a great part of the county of Gloucester. And to be honest, I thought, I have arrived we are done. This is where I'm going to die. I even looked into getting buried in the backyard, creating our own family cemetery on our property. It was on five acres, but we were surrounded by country. I could hunt in my backyard. I could walk maybe a quarter mile and saltwater fish off a public pier that belonged to our neighborhood, uh, our area. Um, it was it was God's country, and had a great job working for a great friend who's who's now the father of my daughter-in-law. Uh, I thought this is it. I've arrived, and uh, after about four years of doing that, now we're circa 2006. I, I got a vision to start a young adult ministry. I, I saw that our ministry was being effective to people that were older than youth. I'd never wanted to be a senior pastor because I did. I wanted to spend my time shaping the future, not fixing the past. <laughs> and uh, it entered my mind like maybe I'd, we'd never pastored adults before, but maybe that's the next step. Maybe that's the next level. I started to realize that I am not going to grow. I'm going to stagnate. I've, I've reached a place where I couldn't really put our ministry on autopilot, but I was feeling a disturbance, like this is, this is too comfortable. And, you know, I, I feel like, you know, there, there, there's, something, there's something more. What, what are we going to do? So we thought the next progression would be to plant our own church. So I put, we put about a year of study into planting a church in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia. It was going to be called The Verge Church. By the way, Life on the Verge comes from what we named the youth group, which was The Verge. And then when we launched Life on the Verge, we chose the name Life on the Verge. And we were going to launch this church in Charlottesville. It was going to be called The Verge Church. And we opened the bank account, got the federal ID number, got a team involved, rented a venue. We were ready to pull the trigger on this thing. After almost a year, we were set to start launch services, soft launch services, where we just went in and practiced with our team, setting up and maybe a few guests, getting ready to get this church off the ground and uh, leaving the comfortable and moving into somewhere where we were exposing ourselves. Are we going to have the income it takes? You know, we're just trusting God. We've, we've did all we could do to make this a calculated risk. In the middle of all this, Jimmy Bratcher came to my church. I'd never met Jimmy Bratcher. Uh, he played couple of blues rock songs and told about what he did, called himself a musicianary, played in prisons and played in bars and clubs and carried the gospel with him wherever he went. I bought his book, Don't Take Your Dreams to the Grave, and I read it, and it messed me up in a good way. It made me ask the question, if I'm going to take a risk, is this really what I want to be a senior pastor? And the answer to that question was, I don't know. And so just that question in my mind 
made me say, you know what, we're not, we're going to press pause on this church plant idea because I'm not going to, we're not going to start something and then a couple of years later say, hey, we're leaving. If I could do anything, it would be to do what that guy's doing. I want to go out and I want to reach people outside of church and use music because I love music. I want to be involved in that. I want to be recording music and going in the studio and playing out in different places and really playing with the intent of entertaining, but using that as a bridge to witness to people as we're able. You know, I have I love worship music. Don't get me wrong. Did it for years. We do it sometimes in prison, but. I wanted to play guitar rock, man, what I love to do, and and to offer some form of entertainment as a gift to people, and then look for the opportunity to share the gospel through that. I had no idea that we'd be in prison like we are. All that unfolded down the road. But it created this question in my mind. Now, meanwhile, I'd put a year of effort into... Did I talk about the puppies? You can hear them in the background. I put a year of effort into uh, fixing our house. It needed work, um, and so I put all new drywall in the hole downstairs. I put brand new carpet, electrical work. I called in friends when I needed them, put tile down, put gravel in the driveway by shovel, ton of work into this house. And now I, I figured we would be able to build up enough. We'll sell the house. We'll live off of what we, you know, the equity we have in the house. We'll float ourselves until we get the salary up in our new church. And I'm just going to trust God. It's going to come together. A lot of uncertainty there. And uh, letting go of the comfortable and moving into this uncertain place. But now we're not going to plant the church. Well, we're still going to have to sell the house. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just pressing pause on the church idea because I don't know. I'd love to do what Jimmy Brancher's doing, but I have no idea how to start something like that, how to start a 501c3. I have no idea. And so it, it we entered this period of wilderness. And uh, eventually the Lord, you know, I feel like the Lord gave us the direction to move to Virginia Beach and just become a volunteer at Wave Church, which is where we were kind of getting some ideas about our church plant from. And just volunteer there and try to get a job of some kind in, in some kind in Virginia Beach to pay the bills. Well, where are we going to live? Well, it turned out my sister-in-law's house, one that she rents, came available. So they rented to, that to us uh, for far more than we could afford. But my daughter had just gotten married. She moved in with us with her, her new husband, and they helped with the rent. But we were in that scenario some of you have been in. We had a mortgage payment on the house that was for sale, and we had rent. Now, we had a little bit of equity money that we could float off of, and then I got a job with a mortgage company that the pastor at Wave Church helped me get, And uh, but I wouldn't get a check for like three weeks or a month. And so we were in a serious watching every penny moment, hoping this house would sell really quick. Well, right after it went off the on the market, rather, um, we, we moved to the house of Virginia Beach. Stay with me here now. We moved to the house in Virginia Beach, and they were calling for freezing temperatures one night, right after it went on the market, the house went on the market. We'd never had our pipes freeze in that house, by the way. Even though it was an older house, um, we'd never had a problem with that. We had a well pump outside, and I put a heater out there in the well house that turned on when the temperature dropped below 40 degrees, and it always worked like a charm. Well, needless to say, uh, 
I shouldn't say needless to say, but I felt like regardless, that's what I meant to say, um, I needed to drive out to Gloucester about an hour and a half from Virginia Beach where we'd moved to make sure that that heater was on. And so we did. We made the drive out there. I turned the heater on full blast, went home, and thought everything's good. Two days later, the uh, agent called me frantic, letting me know she'd gone by the house to show it. The pipes had busted in the ceiling and ruined all the carpet and all the drywall in six rooms that I had done. Wow. So I, I, the first thing I did is I grabbed Susan's hand. I told her what the call was about. And I said, you're not going to believe this. And we prayed together real quick. And then I went in the bathroom and I shut the toilet. I didn't go to the bathroom. I just sat on the, the, the toilet with the lid closed, put my head in my hands. And I reached behind me. I grabbed a New Testament and I flipped it open. And the first scripture my eyes fell on was Psalm 29, verse 10 and 11. It says, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. I knew that was God's word for me in the moment. He sits enthroned over this, over this flood. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I trust him. It's going to work out. And uh, it did. Okay, what happened was the insurance company paid me $12,000. I did the work all over again. Another two or three weeks, I had to quit the job I'd just gotten, but it only cost me $6,000 to do the work, so we profited $6,000. That floated us, paid the bills until they asked me to come on staff at Wave Church, and then I had a salary and benefits again for another five years before launch, launching Life on the Verge, which required a new level of risk. Maybe I'll talk about that a little bit next time. Um, but let me let me close with these questions that I think might help you uh, if you're at a place where, you know, I, I want to advance, but I know I'm going to have to take a risk. I'm going to have to let go, of the known, uh, let go of the known and step into the unknown. Here's a, here's a couple of questions. Maybe you're trying to take your business to the next level. Maybe you're trying to launch a new business. Maybe you're trying to launch a new ministry. Maybe you're trying to, you know, take a new career, a new job. But you're just trying to advance and step into uncertainty and expose yourself to danger and risk and har or harm and injury. Ask yourself these questions. What's the best that can happen if I take this risk? What is the best case outcome? What's that look like? Bring shape to it. See it in your mind's eye. This is what I see. Because if you don't have vision, the provision is not going to come. So get a vision. Where is it I'm trying to get to? Then ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? Can I deal with that? How will I respond to failure? You need to visualize failure. Not that you want to fail, but sometimes failure is part of the growth. If the worst happens... Can we deal with that if you have a spouse? Can I deal with it? Um, sorry for all the noise. It's doing it on the road. This is what happens. Um, I, have I examined my deepest motives? W am I really doing this because I want to serve others and I want to glorify God? Now, there's always going to be some selfish motive worked in there. The, the tension between selfish ambition and godly ambition never goes away. And as long as we pay attention to that, I think we're good. 
as long as we don't swing too far, you know, into selfish ambition or swing too far into, you know, I just want to serve God and so therefore I'm not going to put myself out there and make a big deal about what I'm doing. That's false humility, by the way. Okay, have I examined uh, my deepest motives? Have I sought the counsel of those that have gone before me? Throughout all of our big risk-taking, there have been mentors speaking into my life. I hope maybe I'm part of that equation for you if you're thinking about taking a risk. But you're listening to people that maybe have taken some big risk. You're if more specific to your vision, your idea, the better. You know, my friend Lamb Exterminating I talked about, he worked for Lamb Exterminating in Gloucester. He learned the ropes. He had great counsel, I'm sure, from the guy that runs Lamb Exterminating in Gloucester. And he bought the right to use the name Lamb Exterminating in Richmond, but he started the business from the ground up. He wasn't a franchise, but I'm sure he got professional counsel from his friend, his former boss at, at Lamb Exterminating in Gloucester. What's happening around me to indicate now is the time. That's what's really important. Is this the time to take this risk? Burden does not necessitate timing. So getting the timing right you know, is, is part of the deal. And then lastly, even if everything comes together perfectly, when it's time to pull the trigger to make the move, am I still listening to God and willing to lay down my idea, my goal, etc.? Or do I have the peace of God even in the midst of this uncertainty? In other words, don't I idolize your idea, the thing you want to create. Up to the last minute, Lord, if you're not in this, please let me know. But I would say this, Keep moving forward until you know that you know that you know it was it's God, not the enemy, not our adversary just trying to distract and discourage you. And I believe if we're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, if our spiritual life is healthy, we're going to know the voice of Jesus. Scripture promises that, and we're going to know the schemes of the enemy. So even if it all comes together, God might say, wait, just like he did with our church idea in Charlottesville. It all came together. It looked like this is what we're supposed to do. And at the last minute, we knew that God was saying, wait, I've got better. I've got something that I think you're going to enjoy and appreciate and want to do better. And so I hope that helped. I'm going to let you go. Can you hear them puppies in the background? This, my friends, is why (laughs) I've stalled the podcast. So anyway, we'll be back with you with part three very soon. Bless you. Have a great day. Sometimes falling angels fly I want to remind you that we're a completely donor-funded ministry. You can learn more about Life on the Verge at lifeontheverge.com. You can hear more of our music at theplunders.com or on any streaming service.